Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast, critical discussions in critical times. Here's your host, Bill Kelly. And welcome. Yeah, this is the Bill Kelly Podcast, critical discussions in critical times. I'm your host, Bill Kelly. Good to have you with us today. Uh, We're getting to that time of year, into the early spring, not quite spring on the calendar yet, but I mean, where municipal budgets are finally set. Now, I know they take their sweet time to get around to these things, and they'll give you a dozen reasons why it happens to the extent that it does. But uh, it seems as if cities like Hamilton and Toronto, St. Catharines and others are finally coming up with the number what your municipal taxes are going to be for this year. And this is very important because as we've talked about in, in various podcasts uh, before and back in the old radio show, uh, municipal budgets, first of all, this is the, the, the tax money that's going to have the most impact on your community, right? This is your house, your streets, uh, how's the snow going to get cleared, when the garbage going to get picked up, road improvements and things like that. And and it's it, it varies, obviously, from community to community. Uh, and the Numbers have come out for the city of Hamilton right now, and I think it's instructive to look at this. Uh, and although we're going to talk about the Hamilton budget, I think a lot of the concerns here are applicable to many other municipal budgets. And uh, to get some insight into this, we're pleased to welcome back to the show uh, John Best, who is the publisher of the Bay Observer, who's been following this story uh, for many, many months now. John, great to have you back on the show. Thanks for joining us today. Good to be with you, Bill. Uh, watched uh, and read your pieces in the in the uh, the Bay Observer about what was going on through this process right now. And uh, as you wrote uh, just a couple of days ago, uh, paving through the hundreds of pages of budget documents provided, a few facts emerge beyond the raw numbers. The format of the document confines itself to tax increases, and we know what that number is going to be. And a number of councillors, as you and I have talked about in the past, are kind of patting themselves on the back and saying, "Well, we did a hell of a job this year." Uh, 5.8% increase. A lot of municipalities rather uh, did not do as well as that. But there's a story between the lines here that rarely gets told. And I know you've done some exploring on this. And, and I think it's it's very germane to this discussion about what's being spent. It, it's, it, it's one thing to say, here's how much it's going to cost you. But what are they spending the money on? We don't talk about that. And we probably should. Yeah, it it was an interesting budget, and, and it was the first budget I have seen from Hamilton since the strong mayor uh, policy was uh, adopted, and and you could see the difference between a budget this year and and previous budgets from from our city treasurer, who, uh, as you well know from your days, uh, uh, is very thorough, very detailed, uh, and a you know a real straight shooter, uh, and this budget. Uh, had a lot more political overtone in it. They were very focused on uh, trying to lay as much of the increase off on the province as possible. And uh, in fact, they're going to actually adjust the tax bill to show how much of the increase is attributable to uh, either uh, government downloading or um, government underfunding which is uh, by by the province mainly, which is another kind of a dicey area because it's not I, that as far as I can see, the government is not in um, out of compliance with any cost sharing agreements it has with the city. It's just that the costs have gone up for various programs and the provincial share hasn't increased. So it it was uh, it was an interesting budget in the sense that it it seemed to talk mainly about the amount of the increase rather than the raw dollars, and uh, I you know the the raw dollars we we had a budget that's going to affect taxes 
of over uh, $1 billion, $1.17 billion this year. And uh, you had to look for that uh, in, and there were hundreds of pages of material. Uh, I, I just sensed there was more of a political overtone to even, even the staff description of the budget. Every time we get into raw numbers and we talk about the challenges facing any city, Hamilton, Burlington, you name it, uh, invariably the pressure is on city council to cut out the frills, to cut out the pet projects. Let's just do the basics. Let's get through this and, and try to keep this as affordable as we can, uh, for the taxpayers of that particular community, uh, in, in reading your piece and, and talking to some other folks that have been following this process as well. Uh, I think there's an argument to be made here, John, that, uh, that council did a lousy job of trying to cut out the perks and the, and the, and the pet projects. Well, they didn't do a lousy job. They they made no effort whatsoever to <laughs> to cut <laughs> cut out the uh, uh, what what we're calling euphemistically here in Hamilton. They're called council referred items. So <laughs> so what they are is uh, we start the year twenty twenty three with the, whatever the budget was that was set to begin the year, and then uh, council referred items are all the add ons that council has piled onto the budget which they want to be considered in the 2024 process. So we've got, uh, I don't know, it's well over $20 million worth of what they call council referred items, resulting in somewhere in the 90 new staff area, a uh, lot of money. And, and it represents uh, something in the area of 2% of this budget increase of 5.8 is council referred items. And uh, luckily, uh, our, our city staff are pretty thorough. Uh, you can see areas where they've been kind of pushed into making quasi-political statements. But if you go through the entire document, the entire truth is there. And, uh, you know, these council-referred items have added a lot of staff that we'll never get rid of. And uh, as I say, over over 20 million and and almost a third of the total tax increases attributable to these things that council added on in year. And, and as you go through those, and I know that uh, a lot of councillors are very reticent for anybody to go through line by line to say, well, what's this, why, why are you spending this? Uh, but it would behoove us to do that, at least in, a, in a, an overview uh, size, to get an idea as to what's going on. Uh, if you were to go through some of these projects that you've just referred to, uh, you know, the, the, the question, the obvious question out of this is, do we really need to do that? And do we really need to do that this year? And and I got the sense they didn't ask that question very often during these deliberations. No, no, the, uh, I can point to two capital issues. Now, as you know, capital is, uh, you know, it's spread out over a number of years. So the dollars that we're talking about are spread over years, but uh, we're still going to spend 60 million on bike lanes here. And we're still still going to spend. I'm going to call it 15 million on uh, making uh, our main artery, Main Street, into a two-way street. So there, there's a couple of things that uh, stayed on the budget. Council referred items. A lot of them dealt with homelessness and housing and fairness. And certainly, there's something major that needs to be done there. But as far as I know, the the 60, 70 e-bikes uh, that were recommended are still going to be purchased. Um, so there, uh, there, there was no attempt made to cut uh, any of those kind of things. And, and the other point here, Bill, is uh, this whole thing is down to 5.8%. 
in our case, only because of an unprecedented drawdown of, um, of reserves. And uh, you know from your days, if somebody had said to you, Bill, we're going to drain the reserves by $155 million this year, I think that would have raised some eyebrows on, on the councils that you served on. Well, and and that's the, the the arithmetic here, isn't it, John? I mean, they say, look at we've done a great job and we've whittled down that potential thirteen percent increase down to five point eight. But have they? Uh, they really just took a big chunk of money out of the reserves and say, here, that'll make it easier for you. But you can't do that every year. And and as you say, that's not sustainable. And it really kind of gives a false sense of 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 where we are right now. That number probably should be an awful lot higher because you shouldn't be touching on reserves. That's that's that that's save it for a rainy day. That's to ca you know to pay for things that can come up from time to time. Uh, you got to have those. I mean, it's mandated that municipalities have to have something in the reserve. You can't keep draining them just to lower the tax rate at tax time, uh, and then anticipate that you're you know everything is going to be fine because usually it's not and and we've seen examples you and i've talked about this i mean things come up through the course of a year you know the flash floods that come up and a number of other things like that and there's a legitimate argument for saying okay we need to dip into reserves to fix that or get this done but to simply say well that'll make us look better so let's just dip into the reserves is is really i think contrary to to the tone and, and what council should be doing here uh you know are they really being uh, you know, the stewards of the city when they're simply saying, let's spend whatever the hell we want on our projects and we'll just dip into the reserves. Uh, that's, that's really putting it on a credit card, isn't it? Well, yes, it is. And uh, I did get some information from staff today. Now, the interesting thing is this whole drawdown on reserves, they're going to produce a report in May that's going to explain uh, how, they're, how they've drawn them down. We already know that because it's on the budget. Uh, they're going to drain seven reserve accounts down to zero and close them. Um, what we don't know is, is there a plan to put the money back in? And uh, a note I got today suggests that essentially we are going to get increased taxes uh, in the future. So instead of relying on reserves, here's a here's a bright idea. Let's raise taxes. And that appears to be what the strategy is. But that's not going to impact these guys this year. So they're okay with it. Because yeah. in other words, we'll deal with that or a future council will have to deal with that. But right now in 2024, it's not our problem. Well, yeah, it is. They really, really have just kicked it down the road, haven't they? They have. And, and you know, here's the funny thing about this council. We have so many new members. And one of the one of the arguments they love to say is, uh, we, we had a major turnover in the last election and a lot of old timers got either booted out or just had enough and quit. Uh, but one of the great arguments that's being used against the survivors that are still on council is you guys kept taxes too low for so many years. You neglected your duty. Uh, and here's the mess we got. The funny thing is that the 155 million in reserves that they're now using to lower this year's tax bill is all the result of what those old timers did over the years. Those reserves are there because of, uh, you know, the kind of budgeting that was done in previous years and they're drawing it down uh, and they're, they're drawing down a huge chunk of it. I mean, 155 million is, that's not chicken feed bill. What about these? And again, I know they bristle when you use the term like pet projects, but you mentioned a couple of them right now that they said, look at, you know, damn the torpedoes. We're going to go full ahead on this. 
And one of them that I've seen has received an awful lot of pushback, uh, at least on social media and some of the people I've talked to, I'm a taxpayer too, so are you, uh, is the $60 million for bike lanes. And, and you know, we can have the debate philosophically about bike lanes, and I know that, you know, they've made huge strides in the last number of years about that. But, you know, as, as one person told me, he says, yeah, I got good news for you, people. All you people in the tent cities around there, the encampments, uh, we can't do a whole lot for you there. Too bad, so sad. But there's going to be a real nice bike lane going past uh, where you guys have got your tents now. It, it just seems as if the, the, the city council doesn't seem to have their priorities straight here. No, well, they, they established, the one thing I've learned about this council uh, and its its predecessor council, because some of the uh, progressive element got elected in the last uh, council and they kind of finished the job with, with this council, they, they declare various things. They've declared, I think they've declared four emergencies, uh, homelessness, which is an emergency, climate, and on and on. And so, you know, when they're declaring the emergencies, it's not that hard. I mean, it's a motherhood kind of thing. And so you, you tend to get, if not unanimous support, you get overwhelming support for these various declarations. Then what happens is uh, a year or two later, uh, when some of these schemes come forward, like the bike lanes uh, or like uh, the e-bikes, they're saying, oh, no, no, you guys voted for a climate change. You, you voted that that was an emergency, and, and this is the natural outcome. So th there's been a quite a bit of that kind of delayed, you know, action going on, which is, you know, I, I think a little bit misleading if, if in fact, when the, uh, when the emergencies were declared, uh, the movers of that had some idea of what it was actually going to mean money-wise uh, a year down the road. When I go and get my car serviced and it's never a happy day. Uh, and they do, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the front to rear evaluation of everything. Okay. Yeah. I know Mr. Kelly, you just came in to get your tires changed, but here's this long list of stuff as we, you know, looked over your car and, uh, it's probably all stuff. I mean, take them at their word and say, okay, these are probably all legitimate concerns and problems, but then you have to bring the discussion around and say, okay, what needs to be done right now? What are the safety issues? What are the things that probably should be done, but maybe can wait another year or two? I I don't know the city council does that. Uh, you know, in other words, in this particular case, I get the uh, the philosophical idea about bike lanes and the environmental issues, and 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 that's a very valid discussion to have. But when you're dealing with homelessness, when you're dealing with tax increases, and when you're dealing with with some seniors and others on fixed incomes right now that can't afford to pay property taxes anymore, do you really put that at the top of the list and say, "Look, at, I, I'm sorry about your situation, Mister So and So, but we're going to build these bike lanes." Uh, because we feel that in the long term, that's going to help us. Sometimes in your budget, in your household budget, and in mine, you've got to say, "Yeah, we we should do that. We need to do that." But it's going to have to wait. Uh, and I don't I don't hear that discussion very much. As you mentioned about some of the, there are still some veterans on this council. Uh, I think all of them voted against this budget, and and the cons consensus seemed to be from them is this is not the way to run a city. You're going to get yourselves into deeper trouble. And and of course those words just kind of flew right by this. Some of these other people that thought, no, this is great. We're still doing what we want to be doing here. Well, the other thing is uh, Doug Ford has unfortunately uh, stumbled into this as well. He created the strong mayor system when he thought the mayor of Toronto was going to be John Tory. 
and he had no idea that the, the leader of his opposition was going to be the mayor of Hamilton. But now we question is, I'd love to ask Doug, would you have put in the strong mayor system if you realized, you know, two of your bigger city, well, your biggest city and one of your other big cities uh, were going to have socialist mayors, uh, you know, within months of you implementing the strong mayor system, I think he would have pulled it back. So, so one of the you know one of the issues here is that, uh, frankly, uh, unless there's a major council revolt of two thirds, uh, the mayor gets to uh, set the tone. And and in the case of Hamilton, she made it very clear uh, that her intention was to instruct staff to use reserves as much as possible to mitigate this budget. The the phrase she used was, "This is the rainy day," and so. You know, uh, I, I'm not saying that uh, the budget, um, you know, could have been uh, down to, you know, six or seven percent with cuts. But, uh, you know, this this five point nine based on burning up one hundred and fifty five million in reserves. Uh, it's you know, otherwise, I, I think the budget would have been around eleven percent. So that's the spending. We're spending at an increased level of ten or eleven percent. But we're masking it as five point nine by draw, you know, by busting open the piggy bank. Well, and there's some other elements to this too. That, that as you say, when you know, you can be blinded by science here, and you can be blinded by numbers when when it comes to budget time. And and the bottom line here is that pe the people that live in these communities are the ones that are going to be impacted by this. Uh, and you you touched about one of those other projects. I want to just, if we could, slide into that. Uh, the conversion of Main Street, uh, which is the main thoroughfare for folks who aren't familiar with Hamilton, uh, runs right through the city from, from Dundas all the way over to Stony Creek. Uh, it's a long way. I mean, some of the city councilors are calling it just a highway in the middle of a city. Uh, and, and they've, they've talked about traffic calming missions and a number of other things. The companion element to this discussion, of course, is that the LRT, if they ever break ground on this thing, is going to be happening on King Street, which is just a, about a block and a half away which is essentially going to wipe traffic out of that area. So now they want to move Main Street to two-way as opposed to the one-way, which has been since, what, I guess the 1950s, hasn't it? It's been a long Probably. time. Yeah. But but the it's, now the solution that they're presenting has got people all up in arms. Maybe we could explain that. Well, uh, what, what staff came up with uh, is, is a solution that doesn't appear to have made anybody happy because they're only going to have one. So right now it's an eastbound four-lane road basically yeah. five lanes in some places uh most of the lanes are still going to be eastbound there's only going to be one westbound lane and and it's going to have a bus on it so every time the bus stops to pick up passengers uh all the traffic will stop behind it the the interesting thing about this was the way this came about was staff uh council ordered staff to to, they, they made the policy decision, we are going to change uh, the street to a two-way street before they did any kind of a study. So they, they made the decision, we're going to reverse the street. And then they said, staff, you come up with a way of making it work. So in December, staff came up with their best effort. And uh, first of all, they jumped all over it because it was uh, three lanes one way and one lane the other. And Staff had to explain why, you know, with traffic coming in off 403 and coming in from the west of the city, there was just no way to make it two and two. 
So, so that was disappointing. And then, then the cost, uh, they, they presented a cost figure of something like uh, $26 million. And, and counselors were angry about that. And they, because, you know, there was some outcry from the public, $26 million, what the hell are you doing? And uh, so under pressure, staff brought out a report this year and said, well, we, we did have a, a $10 million repave of the street on our long-term list. So the actual cost of this reversal is 15 million. I, I don't think that's gonna resonate much with the public. The, the, my main objection to it is when they uh, made the decision to convert the street to two-way, they, they said to staff, in the meantime, what kind of traffic calming can you put in now, right now? So staff went ahead with a bunch of things, uh, knockouts and, uh, you know, uh, changing street lighting and or uh, stoplights and so on. And the result was there was a significant reduction in accidents just by those measures. So if the, if the reason for converting the street to two-way is uh, safety, and, and it was an issue, there was no question it was an issue, why don't we try more of these traffic calming measures uh, before we go all the way with a two-way conversion. It, it seemed to be making progress, but it was just, okay, we've got that. Now let's get on with the conversion kind of mentality. So I, and, and there was a little straw poll on the radio station today where it was like 80% are against it. And uh, I think that's another problem we have in Hamilton, uh, you know, not to be too parochial, but Bill, I, I have never seen a council that represents this community as little as this council. They are simply not in tune with what Hamilton is and, and the mood of the people. They're completely uh, out somewhere on their own. Which kind of echoes some of the things I've talked about in the past and talked about extensively when I was doing the radio show here. Uh, is that it seems to be, at least in Hamilton anyway, driven by ideology, not by pragmatism. Uh, here's what we need. No, no, no. Here's what, here's what uh, my ideology uh, dictates that we need. You know, there, in our, in our perfect world, there will be bike lanes. There will be, uh, people that are leaving their cars or selling their cars and simply hopping on public transit to get to work and to go and, and, you know, live, work and play. Uh, and public transit is going to be the answer to everything. So don't worry about that. There won't be any congestion or, or, or gridlock because people won't be in their cars. Uh, and that's not the reality. Uh, they don't seem to get that. I mean, just about every one of them, uh, th I think around that council table gets in their car every morning and drives to work. Uh, and so do a lot of other people in this city. And what is going to happen when they finally do this conversion, and you know it and I know it, we've lived here all our lives, is uh, people are simply going to avoid the downtown. They're simply going to say, I'm not driving down there anymore. Uh, it may look pretty, uh, but you know, you're going to be tearing up King street when you finally start building this LRT, uh, it, you know, the old joke that, Hey, I can't get there from here is going to be the Hamilton reality coming up for the next little while. And it's really going to be counterproductive to, to all these counselors that say we build this and all of a sudden there's going to be all this development and people are going to build stores and they're going to want to live right down there. It's going to be a horror show not just during construction, but even afterwards. And they don't seem to see that. I mean, they, they're so driven by this, this, uh, you know, fabulous vision that they have right now that they don't see how practically it's going to have an impact on the community. Well, uh, we're, we're heading into probably a decade of chaos in Hamilton. If the LRT goes ahead, 
we're we're probably it's going to be you know well into the 30s before we see what the city looks like sort of post LRT. Um, you know, they so much money being spent on that project and increasingly you're seeing changes in technology you're seeing electric buses now becoming viable for canada um you know you're looking at a city like london ontario that is uh, going to install 30 kilometers of bus rapid transit for about a a tenth of the cost that, that we're going to spend here uh on a 14 kilometer lrt line uh we've got some very fixed ideas for for progressive people, there's a lot of rigidity in, in people's thinking. And, uh, you know, it, it's kind of sad to see. Uh, and uh, to your comment about people avoiding the downtown, that's already happening, Bill. Uh, you, people have learned to, you know, I am I live in uh, in the mountain area of Hamilton now. And, uh, I, you know, I, I might go downtown twice a month. And, and unfortunately, you're seeing more and more people just skirting around the downtown uh, because it's uh, between encampments, between the condition of the roads. Um, it's uh, it's really, uh, it's kind of a Soviet uh, landscape, really. Well, and it's, it's the old adage, if you don't learn from history, you're bound to repeat it. Uh, you know, Hamilton was ravaged, as many other communities were uh, in the late 1950s into the early 60s, uh, by businesses vacating the downtown and, and you know, boarded up office space and boarded up storefronts and things of this nature. Uh, and that was caused by economics. And I think people's, you know, zeal for saying, hey, there's a better deal out there. Let's go and be part of that mall that they're building up on the south end of the city. Uh, and I think we've learned from that, and we understand the importance of downtowns to to communities. But now, uh, with some of these projects that they're 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 moving in here, whether or not there's public support for it, I I, I would venture, and yeah, I know you've written extensively about this. I don't even think there's a whole lot of support right now for for the LRT. Uh, but they're going to go ahead and do it anyway because the vision, this is what the vision is. And, you know, come hell or high water, never mind what the people want, uh, we're going to build this. They're basically making it inconvenient for people uh, to go downtown. And and they say, well, you know, you don't need to. You know, we'll have public transit for you. Uh, how much is it going to cost? There's only going to be one line. What happens for people in Ancaster and Dundas and Glanbrook? Uh, they can't access that. It's going to be a pain in the ass for them. But they don't. They they just say, well, they, they we'll work that out when we get to it. But it, uh, we're going to see, you know, the the ghosting of downtown again because people are simply avoiding it. You're right. Anybody who's driving down King Street now from Stony Creek or the east end of the city. Usually when they get to Wellington, they deke up onto Hunter Street, and they, even that now because they've got bike lanes in the way. So what do they do? They bleed into the residential neighborhoods, and that's all of a sudden where you get all these complaints uh, from residents. Hey, there's people speeding through this neighborhood. Uh, you know, it's unsafe for our kids. They can't play in the neighborhood. They can't play at the park across the street because of the, the increased traffic. Uh, people aren't going to leave their cars around and, and simply say, well, I'll walk or I'll take public transit. Uh, they're going to find a plan B and it's not going to be pretty and it hasn't been pretty. And I think we've already seen that impact too. Well, I was looking at uh, some information from Statistics Canada. Uh, we have nearly 30 million automobiles in Canada right now. So, uh, you know, if you're ideologically attuned to getting rid of the car and uh, a number of our counselors are in that category, uh, there's going to be a very long transition period. Uh, so there's almost a, there's almost one car 
there's certainly one car for every adult in Canada now, but there's almost one car for every man, woman, and child in, in Canada. And, uh, you know, I, I, I love to be in a position to drive an electric car. I, I, I'd like to, you know, get rid of an internal combustion engine. Uh, but, you know, we what we're trying to do is make aspirational things happen immediately. And in the case of Hamilton, it's, it's just costing us too much money. Uh, it's, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're pretending we're living in a post-car world when in fact we're not. And uh, it's, uh, it's going to be tough to persuade ordinary people in Hamilton who, frankly, uh, are just less and less of a factor uh, with, with the nature of our council right now. It's going to be hard to persuade them that any of this makes sense. Well, and the numbers tell a story too, don't they? I mean, electric car sales are, are woeful in this country. Uh, and one of the most woeful areas of this country with car sales is Ontario because they don't offer rebates. In other words, there's no financial assistance to do it. And and off in the distance there, John, in the horizon, uh, you've got political leaders in both here and the United States that are basically saying, you know, this EV thing is just a load of crap, uh, which tells me that if they ever gain power, and that's a possibility in both situations, uh, you may see some of those funds dry up and all of a sudden uh, that initiative is going to be gone too. And and I'm not saying, you know, electric cars are a bad thing. I I, I share your enthusiasm. I'd love to be able to get one. But uh, in the meantime, uh, people are still sticking with what they've got. Uh, and again, as you say, this is a council that seems to be aspirational and 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 blinded by ideology. And I, I, I'm concerned about that because as we just noticed with these numbers we've talked about with the budget, it has an impact on everybody in this community. Uh, you know, property taxes are, are the most regressive taxes because it's not based on your ability to pay. Uh, if the taxes keep going up and you're on a fixed income, like a lot of people are that are watching this right now, what are they going to do? You know, I'm, I'm sorry, we have to give up our house, house, honey, but you know what? It's it's all for the good because, you know, we're going to have bike lanes in a few years. We'll, we, we won't be here by then. You know, we're going to have to move up to God knows where right now, but it's, it's creating some, some consternation, I think for an awful lot of people. So this is, this is where I think we turn our attention and we've already seen some of that frustration with the leadership or lack thereof at city hall, uh, from the mayor right on down and not just here, we're hearing it in Toronto. We're hearing it in Belleville, the, the Belleville mayor, as, as you've been reporting, uh, is banging on the door of Queens park right now and saying, Mr. Premier, I need money. And it just seems, sorry, buddy, not happening. Uh, and you're going to see more of that. I think as this goes on. Yeah, we're, uh, you know, these are, uh, I, I've never seen um, a disconnect uh, in, certainly in this city, Hamilton, uh, between the elected and uh, the, and the, you know, the peons that are, that are expected to vote and pay taxes. Um, I'm not sure how this is going to end up, but one thing I can tell you, I have never, also never seen as much political activity going on this far out from the next municipal election. There are groups springing up in almost every ward. There's uh, there's very definitely some organization. There's even fundraising going on. So it appears that uh, we might be in for a very interesting election. The last election was called a change election. And uh, we may see a second change election uh, coming on the heels uh, in four years time, three years from now. Well, as you say, and as, as this starts to filter down and people start getting their tax bills and more importantly, start going around this community and seeing what's not being done. 
uh, or what's being done poorly. I think you're going to see a, that that accelerate. Uh, we're out of time this time around. John, it's always a pleasure to have you on the podcast to talk about these sorts of things. Uh, as always, uh, we appreciate your input, and, and uh, we'll talk again soon, I hope. My pleasure, Bill. John Best, publisher of the Bay Observer. That's it for this edition of the Bill Kelly Podcast. You can find us anywhere where you get your podcasts. So spread the word. Tell all your friends about this as well. Until next time, take care. Bill Kelly Podcast brought to you by Wizens Law, personal injury lawyers. Listen, you didn't choose to get injured, but you can choose the right lawyer. Wizens Law, 905-522-1102 or wizenslaw.com.